This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so the big story in Rhode Island politics this morning is that Speaker Shikarchi is not going to be running for Congress. A statement that came out about a half hour ago, I'm recording this on Friday morning about 11.30. The outpouring of support I've received to run for Congress from friends, family, neighbors, supporters, advocates, community leaders, elected officials, and well-wishers both here in Rhode Island and beyond has been humbling, overwhelming, and inspiring. It's an honor to know so many people have confidence that I could help get good things done in Washington just as we've done at the State House. At this time, however, I believe I can do more to help our state by continuing in my role as Speaker. This decision is not a political one, but a deeply personal decision after discussions with my family, close friends, and House colleagues. I remain ever grateful for the opportunity to serve as Speaker, a job I truly love, while I will not be a candidate for Congress this year, I look forward to continuing to work with partners in federal, state, and local governments to bring people together and improve the lives of Rhode Islanders. By the way, simultaneously this morning, an announcement from Cynthia Mendes, who also says she will not be running for Congress as well. So, you know, what does this mean? Number one, uh, first of all, the speaker is... Uh, we're working on it right now. It looks like it's pretty much confirmed. This afternoon, I'll be in for Dan York on WPRO 3 to 6, expecting to have the speaker join me. We're just finalizing details on the time, but sometime between 3 and 6, I'm expecting Speaker Joe Shikarchi to join me live on WPRO. So we'll have, obviously, a lot more detail. Um, if there really is any more detail in terms of the, of the decision, it's pretty well laid out here. And it's pretty, you know, th- th- this... Um, process was pretty transparent, I think, just from the standpoint of any observer. You know, you're the Speaker of the House, arguably, if not definitely, the most powerful position in all of Rhode Island politics at a time when Speaker Shikarchi has forged coalitions that are actually being productive on a number of key issues, not the least of which is housing, where just yesterday, a package of 12 bills were introduced that can really change the dynamics around the the, the housing crisis conversation outside of the purview of Stephen Pryor and the housing department. You know, the speaker is kind of taking on the role on his own to a certain extent. At least you can make the argument that the General Assembly is saying, hey, we're going to do our thing. And that amongst many other initiatives and again, coalitions and relationships that have been established inside the chamber that, you know, to lose a speaker Shikarchi would be a great blow to the state of Rhode Island. No matter where you stand politically, be it on the, on the left, be it sort of a moderate, be it on the right. Shikarchi is an ideal speaker in that he can be a vessel to communicate between different portions of the chamber and different portions of the Democratic Party. You know, some people are going to say, you know, he's too conservative. Some people are going to say he's too liberal. At the end of the day, most people would agree that he's an effective speaker of the House. So for that very reason and that reason alone, you can establish that in many ways, this is a good thing for the state of Rhode Island that he is actually going to stay in the role of Speaker of the House, or at least stay in in, in General Assembly and, and and seek re-election, and obviously to retain the speakership as time moves along. There's also the personal side of this, where he has an effective law practice. You'd have to leave that behind should should you make a decision to run for Congress. And and in in elder father, which he cites as someone he wants to uh, you know be around, and, and it makes complete sense. You know, the reality of this whole situation is that there's been a lot of speculation, a little bit of palace intrigue as to who would step up and actually run for this office. Now, I have a feeling here as we move towards April 
that anybody who's going to make a decision one way sh- in, in one way, shape, or form is going to do so within the next couple of weeks. I mean, at that point, it is kind of, um, it's kind of game time. And obviously, we see that today with the Shikarchi announcement, also the Mendes announcement, and quite frankly, with Sabina Matos and her announcement, even as soft of an announcement as it was. But look, the, the, what does this do to the congressional race? Well, number one, Shikarchi, although his, his campaign account is a state campaign account. And that means that much like Treasurer, then Treasurer Magaziner, were he to run for a federal office, he would have to convert those donations in a really, quite frankly, annoying process to get the the, the funds to a federal account. He had tons of money. I mean, he, he, he was sitting on, I believe, well over a million dollars. And from a fundraising standpoint alone, had a campaign account that would have been arguably the most formidable uh, of, of anyone, even with potential private dollars from someone like a Helena Bonanno folks that may come in and enter the race. But where does this leave the race right now? Obviously, the main candidate is now Sabina Matos, the lieutenant governor. There's supposedly going to be some kind of formal announcement, some sort of formal uh, uh, you know, press conference or something like that that's going to come in April. But she's in. She's made it clear the lieutenant governor is running. And look, a lot of people underestimate Sabina Matos as a political animal. Uh, and they should not do so because she actually has a, a wider appeal than many casual observers may believe. She also has a, access to a fundraising apparatus uh, within her family that can be substantial. And the platform of lieutenant governor, although it is somewhat, um, you, you would make the argument that it's certainly not the governor, you know, if you, in terms of exposure. And if you went down to, I don't know, the Warwick Mall and asked people who the lieutenant governor of the state of Rhode Island was, I don't know if more than two out of 10 people would be able to identify Sabina Matos as that person. She is on TV. She is out and about. She does have those community, community relationships. And she does have a position that can elevate her campaign on a day-to-day basis via that platform of lieutenant governor. But what about other people? Here's the, here's my take on all of this. As Shikarshi gets out, I think that this opens up the race for Don Grebby and the mayor of Pawtucket. This is an opportunity that that really, uh, with the Shikarshi announcement this morning, that he is not going to seek this this office. I believe Pawtucket Mayor Don Grebian is going to step up and is going to make an announcement that he will run for Congress. And look, here we go again. We've talked about it before here on the podcast. I've laid it out for you. There's two major uh, peer groups in Rhode Island politics. One, although diminished, is the Gina Raimondo Alumni Network. The other, the the Northern Rhode Island Mayoral Peer Group. And even though Sabina Matos is a member of the McKee administration, I certainly think that you know that Northern Rhode Island Mayoral Peer Group uh, element that Don Grebian represents is going to be a major player in all of this, uh, all the way up through the governor's office. Now, we haven't talked to the governor about this. This is just pure speculation, pure analysis from you know the bleacher seat, so to speak. But it certainly would make sense in a lot of ways that as Shikarchi leaves the picture when it comes to the Congressional District 1 race, Don Grebian enters in. Now, that kind of matchup uh, between a Grebian and a Matos, you get very, two very different political styles and two very different types of political creatures. Um, Grebian obviously comes from, uh, you know, from a perception standpoint anyway, being a popular mayor in Pawtucket, being somebody who is uh, considering that he's just a, a mayor, and I say that in quotes, just, but he's got some statewide name recognition. He's been there for a million years. He was around during the Paw Sox Stadium uh, scenario. He's obviously there as Tidewater Landing becomes a statewide issue. And he's been somebody who has displayed, uh, let's let's put it this way, a working class type of um, 
uh, a persona that I think appeals to a lot of voters or at least could appeal to a lot of voters. Now, there's also, let's be honest about it, Sabina Matos, you know, is somebody who uh, is painted oftentimes in the media as somebody who was elevated to lieutenant governor simply based on demographics. And while, look, uh, the McKee administration or more importantly, the McKee campaign is not stupid, and they they certainly knew what they were getting when they got Sabina Matos elevated to lieutenant governor, and it was certainly in many ways from a demographic standpoint for political reasons. Uh, you know, Sabina Matos is an effective leader and is somebody who has a proven track record on the city council as the city council president. And I think when connecting with voters, and by the way, this election, this special election, whenever it takes place, whenever they get their act together, you know, and 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 establish. I say that you get their act together. Whenever you know the, the the decision is made as to whether or not to hold the primary in August or September, when this takes place, you expect to see a very low voter turnout. It's going to be a, a minuscule voter turnout, in fact, that'll decide this thing. But I think that a Sabina Matos can actually win over more people on a one-on-one basis than than maybe a, some analysts would expect right out of the gate. Now, here's the other thing: Helena Bonanno, folks, jumps into this comes with a ton of money the question is does she want to take the risk of losing a second major race in less than a year i mean you look at some of the 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 candidates who have been unsuccessful but prominent in recent history no more so than alan fung three races lost in a decade span now contract that down to a one-year period for helena bonanno folks it is a political end of career maneuver to lose an election in my opinion for a second time in a year, she certainly would have the money to to put in and, and would even with um, any fundraising efforts that Grebian or Matos might engage in, it would be hard to compete on a financial basis uh, with, with the Helena Bonanno folks. But also the connection level, right? Does Helena Bonanno folks get the, the does the perception uh, get out there that, hey, look, this is a corporate person. Uh, you know, this is from the, uh, she's not from the 1%, but she's certainly from the 5%, right? In terms of wealth and status and this, that, and the other. She's done what she can to get out there and sort of become a fixture of education. She sits on the Johnston School, uh, not school committee, but uh, school planning board, I believe, and, and a number of other type of, uh, you know, approaches that she's taking to try to bring herself back down to earth after a governor's race that saw her and Dan McKee getting into Uglyville very quickly and staying in the mud uh, up until the very last second, a race that she narrowly lost, if not for mail ballots, then she probably would have won. She did win the day of in-person voting um, in that Democratic primary last year. But I don't know about Helena Bonanno, folks. I don't see her in this uh, in this moment uh, as being the person who will uh, answer the bell and uh, appeal to as many voters as, say, a Don Grebbe. And I think you've got yourself a Grebbe and Matos matchup. Obviously, you've got that Rodney Allen Waters in the mix. He, of course, ran as a Republican. So you can't remember if he's, is he from Massachusetts? Uh, is he running for Senate? Is he running for House? He has some... Uh, some um, you know, some criminal charges on his record that are concerning. And now all of a sudden he's running as a Democrat. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that is a perennial candidate type character who, uh, you know, may not even qualify for any reasonable debate as we approach uh, the primary season. But nonetheless, he's in there. You probably will see some other people get in there. What about John Gonzalez, the up and coming Providence City Council person? Uh, another another name that has, has thrown his, um, you know, has announced that he's exploring this whole thing. How about Nellie Gorbea? We haven't heard much from her, if anything, in recent times. Some people tell me that they've talked to her and she's expressed some interest. But I believe that uh, you know, following the governor's race and her kind of shift to Salvia Regina and the private sector, that it's um, it's probably less likely than it than it that it seems like it could be for Nellie Gorbea, even though she has the name recognition 
on a statewide basis after that gubernatorial run that, uh, you know, she was a third place finisher. At one point, she did appear to be a quasi front runner in. So to me right now, Shikarchi leaves this conversation. It now comes down to Amatos and I think Grebian race. And we'll see if that plays out uh, and, and who else may jump in, who else may see this as an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I want to get in this thing while Shikarchi wasn't necessarily guaranteed this in any way, shape, or form should he run. I think anybody would agree that he would have been the immediate front runner and probably would be the most appealing across the board just on a a very baseline level, a very you know simple level that, hey, he's the guy um, that has, has, has seemed to get things done, has been productive, and has the multi-factional support across the board, across the Demo- Democratic Party, and even amongst independents and conservatives who, although they may disagree with many of his political views, as do many of the progressives, uh, at the end of the day, they know that uh, you know this is a game of compromise, and he's somebody that could serve them very well. He also has that Warwick connection, um, you know, given uh, it's it, it, it's it's going it would be helpful to have a, be a part of a political machine. We'll put it that way. Obviously, Grebian is a part of that uh, Northern Rhode Island mayoral peer group. Matos is to a large extent a part of the Providence. A machine certainly through her her husband, who is a major fundraiser in Democratic Party in uh, in, in politics and Providence. Shikarchi would have a Warwick machine that, um, be it inside or outside of the district, would still have significant power and leverage in terms of getting into the race. But that is irrelevant now. Shikarchi not running for Congress. It is said and done. Uh, hopefully, we will be able to coordinate this. I'm in fact, I'm going to. In fact, I'm going to end this inter- this podcast here. I can't even speak right now. I've got a million things going on, so I can jump into a call to try to coordinate and finalize this one on one conversation I'll have with the the speaker on the radio this afternoon. We can get into some more stuff. One other thing I want to mention right now: a terrible tragedy ta- has taken place in Middletown, Rhode Island, where, um, uh, frankly, it's being ruled a suspicious death. All right. And, you know, my own sourcing down there has shown me uh, that I'm, I'm pretty confident that there is, it, it, when you say suspicious, what you've got is a scenario in which you have uh, likely a murder, okay? And this is uh, a kid who is a, an, a, a totally adored in Rhode Island, 39-year-old John Edward Corbett, a uh, photographer, a musician, somebody who was at the heart and center of a lot of the, the, the community uh, in in the Newport uh, County world, um, the Newport Preservation Society, uh, just a just a universally adored person, and a lot of people are hurting right now. A lot of people are suffering from the death of Edward Corbett, and I was at a press conference this morning with the Middletown Police, and look, they're not moving. I asked them, you know, what what's going on here, you know. I, we do not have enough information about this to move forward with any specific details. But I can tell you this, this story, there's something up with it. Uh, there's more to it than is being led on. Uh, there are facts and, and, and bits of evidence, perhaps even, that have been shared with me. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to tell you who told me that. I'm not going to tell you when and how I got that information. Uh, I can't verify if it's completely accurate or not, simply because the police department at their press conference today, wouldn't tell you anything. I mean, they basically stood there and told you nothing. I, I live-streamed it on my Facebook page if you want to watch it, Facebook Bill Bartholomew, but let's be honest about it. The, the Middletown Police Department today told you nothing about this and just adds to the anxiety, the suspicion, 
and the concern. Now, they did say, oh, the community's not in danger, things of this sort. But how do you say that to a community when you won't give them facts? Um, and, and, and look, the, the reality is, like I said, this is not a kid and you don't know anybody's full story. We all understand that. But this is not a kid who would be typically the center of significant disputes. He was a, a beloved, uh, wonderful kid, talented kid, artistic kid, generous person who had, uh, the, you know, just ran into something extremely unfortunate, a death being ruled suspicious right now, and a story that we will obviously continue to follow in depth here on Bartholomew Town and across the platforms. I, I, you know, my heart is broken over this one, and, you know, all I can say right now is that, geez, you know, let, let, let's get the Middletown Police Department, and I understand they're waiting for medical examiner reports. I understand the, the state police and the attorney general's office is, is likely involved in all this at this point, but we want to know what's going on. And who's we? I'm not talking about it from the standpoint of the media. I'm talking about it from the standpoint of the community. Because what's going to happen is you're going to start to see some players in media here in Rhode Island sensationalize this. You're going to start to see murder in Middletown type of, uh, of uh, graphics on uh, 6 o'clock newscasts. You're going to start to see all kinds of drama play out and a whodunit type of... Uh, you know, which sells. I mean, take a look at cable news. What do they put up on there? They, they, you know, there's a murder in Massachusetts. They go there. You've got the Iowa murder. They, they're going to go there. They've the guy in South Carolina and killed his family. They're going to go there. This is the kind of stuff that the, the, the news media, particularly on the television side, craves. And before it turns into some kind of nonsense, some kind of sensationalistic ratings grabber, uh, in an attempt to sell commercials about mattresses and pickup trucks and whatnot. Let's get the facts straight. Let's get it out there to the general public so we can get this thing, uh, so people can start to process what actually happened. All right? Uh, because you're not going to sit here and tell me uh, or leave me satisfied with the, it's a suspicious death and we're looking into it. When you have facts that are bizarre, that are inconsistent, that are not being shared with the public, but I've been able to learn from talking to people off record, Okay, I know several people uh, were approached and, and gave statements to the police department. And you've got a situation here that is, is simply not adding up and, and deserves to be addressed in a thorough manner. So we'll give the, the Middletown police a little bit of a pass today, understanding that this is still fresh, evidently, according to them, based on a question I asked. The timeline is that this uh, suspicious death, quote unquote, occurred on Sunday with a wellness check occurring by the police department on Tuesday, at which time they discovered the body of uh, John Edward Corbett, 39-year-old Middletown photographer, musician, and all-around uh, beloved individual member of the community, somebody who attended you know, just about every big event in town uh, in, in one way, shape, or form, and again, was generous, applied a lot, of, um, a lot of generosity to the community, comes from a family with a lot of history of that same uh, mentality, and a family that suffered a tremendous amount of tragedy as well. So for that... And that alone, the Middletown Police Department, I would ask them to please put some information out there that people can start to wrap their heads around what happened with this horrific event and, and not have it just simply be a uh, we'll wait and see type of scenario. Uh, people are concerned. People are worried. If, uh, you know, the idea that this thing could turn into a media sensation is also something no one's brought it up until now. I'm bringing it up to you. I sense this, you know, certain, certain bad actors are going to jump at this. Uh, I'm not saying who they are. I'm not saying they necessarily even know that they're doing it, but you can see this turning into something completely out of control and uh, not what it ought to be, which is a, a, a closure, uh, a chance for closure, a chance for investigations to lead to hopefully some level of justice and a chance for people who have been impacted by this tragedy to grieve and not be subjected to uh, a real-time 
um, Hollywood style, you know, um, storyline that's being played out. And again, you'll see it. You'll see, I guarantee you, somebody's going to have a graphic on television. This is murder in Middletown, you know, and then it expands to the cable news networks. They're going to say murder in Newport, Newport County, however they want to frame it. And uh, it's going to turn into one of these whodunit, true crime type stories that meanwhile, as we are in midst, the midst of major severe crises across the country, uh, they, these things grab headlines. They grab ratings. They grab eyeballs. And, um, you know, not saying it, that the story doesn't deserve attention, but it deserves attention from a professional way, not from some kind of sensational way. And I'm very concerned that if the Middletown Police Department doesn't give us an update that can be reasonably digested by any thinking person and can provide some measure of closure to the friend's family and, and acquaintances even and the community as a whole uh, that, that, it, that is impacted by this tragedy, geez, let me tell you right now, they better do it fast because this thing will get out of control and what's going to happen is the rumor mill. In fact, a reporter today for uh, the, the Daily News was was referencing, and he did a good job in framing this question. He, uh, the Newport Daily News was was asking about some rumors that had been speculated. Was he stabbed, this, that, and the other? What ends up happening is you start painting a multitude of pictures for the general public to use their imagination. It becomes gruesome, it becomes painful, and it becomes disruptive. So I urge the Middletown Police Department, please jump out and make something happen fast. Uh, again, don't rush the investigation. We understand there's a process, but you guys know something, and what you've put out there today is simply not the extent uh, of your knowledge, of your information. There's no way, in no way, shape, or form do I buy that. Uh, there's there's too many people who have already been sharing facts of the case off the record, behind the scenes, as to the specifics of this event, and the general public deserves to know, and the community deserves to know and what's the difference the community is the 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 people who are around and have been around this person and 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 his inner circle and also the community of Aquinnick Island which right now is being rocked by something that they can't wrap their heads around and deserve to know answers they deserve to know answers and and I do not want to see this thing turn into the type of garbage that we've seen other trials and um, murder mysteries and so on and so forth turn into which becomes you start to detach from the reality of a well-respected, uh, who cares if he's well-respected, just a human life was taken. And, you know, you want to use the word suspicious before you enter any kind of, you know, statement that this was a murder. That's on you. You know, I'm giving you an opinion right now when I tell you it was a, it was a murder. And the public deserves to know what happened on that incident. So that was this morning along with the Shikarchi News. Obviously, two stories that are very different but also converge on a similar thread of you know, um, tracks that will continue to develop. So in the congressional race, I think Chikarchi leaves, opens up the door for Grebby, and I think you're going to see Grebby and Matos all the way through the summer, and that's going to play itself out in a primary. They'll probably do it in September, realistically. And then, um, you know, obviously on this this, um, suspicious death in Middletown of uh, somebody who is close to the arts community down there, of course, of which I'm a part of, uh, we're going to continue to stay on that. I will not recuse myself from this either because uh, although I'm familiar with the individual, I cannot sit here and tell you that he was a close friend or anything like that. Um, but uh, I, I will not be stepping away from it from the standpoint of, you know, this impacts me on, on a, the type of personal level that, that it does his close friends and family. However, I will tell you that um, it has rocked the artistic community in Newport and it is just another tragedy that in the, the the broad Rhode Island artistic community over the last year or so, just another loss that is just mind-blowing and devastating. So we'll stay on top of that for you. And, um, you know, everybody, again, I'll be on WPRO this afternoon. This is Friday morning. 
It's Bill Bartholomew. Thanks for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast.